Hello everyone, welcome back to our CIE podcast series on the hallmarks and graduate attributes of our curriculum framework at the University of Liverpool. Today we are joined by a group of academics from different disciplines to talk about digital fluency. I'll start with some introductions. So I'm, I'm Tundi Varga-Atkins, I'm in, um, a senior educational developer in the Centre for Innovation in Education at Liverpool University. I'm Rob Trahan. I'm a lecturer in Technology Enhanced Learning in the Faculty of Health and Life Sciences at the University of Liverpool. Uh, I'm John Hogg. I work in the Department of History and I'm also Associate Dean for Education in the School of Histories, Languages and Cultures. And I'm Kerry Trainer. I'm a lecturer in Communication and Media in the School of the Arts, also at the University of Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Great. So I think we have come here today because we wanted to really talk about digital fluency, which is a graduate attribute at the university. And it's something that all our academics have to think about when they design curriculum. And it's it's what we want our graduates to um, be digitally fluent when they graduate. And I think because it's such an abstract concept Mm. um, and it ideally means different things for different subjects, which we have a lovely representation here today. So really, this um, podcast is aiming at um, your colleagues and seeing how we might, um, you know, pick this idea up for in our respective um, programs. And um, so that that's really why we're here to talk a little bit about that. And I know uh, we've given you a task. So maybe we could start with that. Okay, yeah. Uh, so we've all asked you to bring an object or think of an object or, or, or an artifact or something, whether it's virtual, physical, whatever it is, that you would associate with digital fluency. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so can we go around and see what you have come up with? And I think it's, it's, you can talk about either the process of thinking about or what this or why you've chosen that object or artifact. And, and really, yeah, anyway, let's just see what you've got. And I think, again, because it's for radio, <laughs> we probably need to describe okay. the object. <laughs> so I don't know whether it would work better if someone else described your objects okay. of what it looks like. I mean, in, and then you would then talk about it. Okay. So would someone like to describe what I'm holding? <laughs> Is it an envelope? It's a, oh, <laughs> very observant. It's a, uh, a plain 30 pence white envelope. I've just bought it from the stationer. Would anyone like to guess what's in it? Looks a bit rectangular. It's a phone. It is a phone. It's my phone, in fact. So it uh, might not have been a good idea to start with me because I'm, I'm going to be quite negative about technology in the next mm-hmm. 30 seconds, I imagine. Well, not negative. No, please do. Just please the, do. Um, the acknowledgement of, you know, you know, we're in this sort of era where technology is absolutely fundamental to a university and it's used ubiquitously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're expecting our students to engage with technology at some point and staff. Mm-hmm. And this really is an acknowledgement that, um, you know, being digitally fluent is, is one thing and, and you can do that in a very, very positive way. But there are, you know, a certain number of, of negative or mm-hmm. downsides to that technology as well. Uh, and for me personally, that mm-hmm. is the level of distraction that I encounter from my phone. You know, uh, mm-hmm. all this communication is great, but if it stops me from doing 
you know, work or writing or reading, um, then that's that's a problem. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I, <laughs> I this is a bit conceited to say I put I don't do this anymore. But you know, recently I got to the point where. I was looking at my phone, <clears throat> you know, it must have been hundreds of times a day. If I'd counted them, it would have been awful. Uh, I even put software on there to track mm-hmm. how many times I was opening my phone. But that became a bit meta because then I got addicted to looking <laughs> at the app <laughs> to, <laughs> to figuring out how many times I look, looked at it. So the best solution I came up with at the end of the day is taking my phone and putting it in an envelope and sealing the envelope. And the sealing is important. I was just going to point you that out. You have to seal it um, because there's something... We associate with actually unpeeling this and, and you know irre- irre- irrevocably using you know not being able to use that envelope again that stops mm-hmm. you from actually doing it mm-hmm. it doesn't work with envelopes that have a transparent window on I've checked I've tried that <laughs> and I'm able to check my phone through the window so it's got to be a completely opaque envelope uh-huh. um, and by doing that my you know even though I'm using technology on a, on a daily basis, on, a, on an hourly basis, minute by minute, mm-hmm. um, my, producti- my productivity went up because I wasn't distracted by my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was my object. C- can I just say that I actually <laughs> left my mobile phone at home today oh, and really? I, it feels great <laughs> and I have suffered from the same yes. thing. Yes, so yeah. yeah, I've only ever done that by accident and even though mm. it, it does feel great and I always feel better, I still they'll take it with me every day, you know, deliberately. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I have so to it's it. interesting you, you, you say this because I, my object um, is a graphic novel by Raymond Briggs called When the Wind Blows, because right. my, my research and teaching is on kind of nuclear history. And one point I was going to make is that I think digital, the way we think about it in our subjects in history, it's very much supplementing mm-hmm. um, a lot of other things we might get to talk about. Mm-hmm. And very often with our students, it's, it's talking about the limitations of, of, of digital. Mm-hmm. So, for example, it's not to go to mm-hmm. a digital resource and think, oh, I found these five or ten things, so now that's my research project, I can go away. Because there's also an awful lot that's not digitised yet. Well, so, I think, oh, yeah, I was, I was interested in thinking about just, I think, what you're talking about in terms of um, the potential for distraction, yeah. I think, for our own students mm-hmm. very much. But also the sort of limitations of digital, or, or seeing digital as a kind of supplement or a, or a complement to what we might call more traditional approaches to, to a discipline. So, yeah, it's interesting because I, I did think about that, the sort of bringing in a, an object. I think, well, that, that's, that's not digitized. And also, students get really excited, you know, uh, looking at these books from the 1980s and, and, and so on. So, there's something there as well about maybe engagement mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as well. Can I just ask why you chose the Raymond Biggs? So the graphic novel, what is it that you made cho- choose that one? Um, I suppose, in a sense, it was that stu- that students, if we think about digi- digitally mm-hmm. aware students, I think they need that kind of awareness, or we need to encourage a sort of awareness about um, the the brilliant potential that, that, that digital offers us. But also, um, if we think about the, the best digitally aware graduates, it might also be about stepping back a little bit and maybe taking that time out and saying, mm-hmm. I need to revise today, I'm not going to look at my phone yeah. and this kind of thing. So it's that, it's that sort of balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, digital fluency is also about kind of a, almost a philosophical stance almost about what it means in our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is Raymond Briggs as in The Snowman yeah. and yeah, he, yeah. Oh, Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So he wrote a very, um, it's quite a downbeat graphic novel about what happens in the event of nuclear war. Right, okay. Um, to an old couple who choose to follow civil defence advice. Okay. Um, Comedy then, yeah? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read poignant. that. Really, yeah, that one. I need to go and see that. I remember yeah. it being very yeah. scary as a child, and actually, it's kind of the culmination of all the fears that people have about mm. technology mm. and science and advance. Okay. Yeah. That maybe it all goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Look mm. where we end up. And of course, we're less afraid of sort of nuclear holocaust now, more afraid of artificial intelligence and things like this, aren't we? So that's sort yeah. of the the new technology, isn't it? Yeah. But the same fear. Probably, is it? Well, just human destruction, right? Yeah, it's the humans. How much control do we have? Yeah. But I think there's always been moral panics about every kind of new technology. You know, we had it about radio. We had Orson Welles kind of radio broadcast Mm -hmm. that sent people supposedly screaming into the streets because they feared an alien invasion was taking place. You know, we had uh, fears about television we've had fears about the internet. You know, it kind of comes and goes. We've all managed to adapt to each new form of technology that comes around. Um, And sometimes I just think the whole of humanity is kind of like a kid with a new toy at the moment. You know, we are absolutely overindulging. Uh, It's causing mental health Mm -hmm. problems in our students and in ourselves, perhaps. Especially Um, children as well. I think that's a big area, isn't it? Yeah, and it is, you know... It has got uh, the kind of ubiquity of new media now when it's not just on a screen in our living room or on our desk, but it's on our phones, you know, wearable tech, it's all across the city. There is a real danger, Um, but as well, we have to keep that in perspective, I think, and think about all the positive things, you know, and the access to information and the sort of uh, amazing things that technology can do. Uh, So... Having What's said your that, object? Wow, yes. what a great sure. introduction to my object. <laughs> I didn't plan it like that. Um, so the object that I've bought is rather predictably a tablet, um, but what it is showing at the moment is a YouTube channel that my students have created, um, which is called Media Pool, uh, which is based on our kind of departmental blog. Um, It's produced by my third year students and it kind of encapsulates just, I think, for some of them, um, you know, it's a place where they've been able to explore um, video as a communicative tool. They've been able to think about the kind of characteristics of different kinds of media assets and what makes some media Uh, more contagious you know more viral more kind of appealing and engaging to viewers than others Um, and where they can kind of express their own creativity as well which I think you know is a great um, part of the course that that brings them a lot of satisfaction and they also get to go out and work with clients on these you know they produce sort of uh, I don't want to call them marketing videos because sometimes they're not marketing. Sometimes they've got a more sort of activist type uh, theme. So they've been uh, going out working with charities, helping them raise awareness of their causes, uh, secure more volunteers, generate donations and things, as well as you know bringing new visitors into the city perhaps or making use of new apps, whatever it might be. They set themselves a challenge, they work with clients and they work with team members to, to create something really that is, you know, greater than something they could do on their own. So for me, that kind of represents, uh, you know, a really great project that they're able to use these kind of technologies 
Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's lovely because from your three objects, it's almost like the way you've described it, it's almost like a relational aspect to technology. So mm -hmm. your envelope was very much about, you know, in that case, thinking about when it is useful, when it's not, mm -hmm. and, and it's been a way. And then, John, you were talking about criticality and, you know, being aware of uh, technology. And I think Kerry's, your example was lovely in like technology as a space we can inhibit and work with and connect with, with one another. So that's, yeah, really, really good um, examples on that. Um, I mean, I, I've been thinking, because all, all along, I also did the <laughs> I did, did my own homework. So what I go end up bringing is, um, can you describe what you see? <laughs> <laughs> You've got a salt and a pepper cellar. Or yeah. grinders, they grind as well. What do you think why I might have <clears throat> chosen? Let's take salt first. <laughs> Is it something that you're seasoning? So you're uh, enhancing your education by adding the salt and pepper or something like that? So, yeah. yeah, so that, that's, I think there's a lot of that. I mean, this is where metaphors can be good for various reasons and probably have some limitations yeah. as well. I was trying to find something where, to me, also digital is. Uh, in, the interesting bit about digital fluency that it's primarily about your subjects, about history, about life sciences, about communication and media, but the digital all, always almost is, mm -hmm. exists somewhere within it, underpinning it, or or somewhere. So, but then I guess it comes back to the ubiquity, or yeah. or that you notice it if it's not there, or perhaps if there's too much, you notice that as well. So it's that having that. Um, yeah, so having that aspect of so it. So basically you're saying technology is something that you you wouldn't eat on its own. Yeah. Salt and pepper, Yeah, right? it's, 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 so you are in charge of making a meal and deciding what that meal is going to be like, you, you know, it, if it's, uh, it, yeah, whether yeah. it's history, music, what, yeah. that's the main thing, that's the main focus, and, but the salt can make it, you know, I don't know. Mm. I don't, I don't know whether that resonates or... I think that's a great analogy, know, yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think so. Uh, oh, no, I, I'd finished. <laughs> no, I, was, <laughs> I was just going to say, because I think the example of the YouTube channel there, I can see how digital is part of this process that I think you describe, sort of um, from the beginning to the end. Um, so in, in terms of history, I suppose, I was thinking more about the research process mm -hmm. and the, almost the temptation to think if you find certain things now on a digital um, in a digital mm -hmm. format, it's very accessible, it's brilliant, you don't have to travel so much. Um, there's, we've seen, I think, with students sometimes where they think, oh, that's the end of that project, I've, I've done that. But actually, as researchers, you know, oh, actually, we might have to triangulate a little bit more, think very critically about what we're finding. Maybe we do have to travel to an archive to double check or to build on what we've found. So in a way, it opens mm -hmm. up a lot of possibilities, and it's about, I suppose, the research process in that way, so finding mm -hmm. how digital fits and what new questions we have to ask before mm -hmm. then we get to writing and and, mm -hmm. and the product as it were so yeah mm -hmm. um. yeah that's a nice insight into mm -hmm. what you're trying to get students to do in his history for in, in this mm -hmm. case yeah i mean just to add the other bit <laughs> the pepper because um i was trying to think well partly you know almost the spice of life so in, in some instances, we, we say that we want to use technology because it can be more efficient or, you know, um, but I, I haven't met an academic when, when they have said, you know, 
I use Vital. <laughs> now it's <laughs> amazing. And, and for anyone not from Liverpool, Vital is our VLE. But to me, that's not necessarily the digital fluency because it's not about your um, discipline. As in, when I say Vital, as in probably like a repository of content or not, not the interactive features, but when someone uses it as a, a repository or perhaps, you know, submit, the students have to submit online. That's not necessarily about your discipline. Mm -hmm. So to me, the spice, whether it's pepper or whatever, lovely spice. <laughs> so that that enables you to do things that you might not mm. be otherwise be able to do. So it comes back, John, to what you said about perhaps it enables you to do something, a new research question that you haven't done. or have. I mean, have you come... Have you, have you got examples perhaps for that in your areas where you were able to do something? I think, um, I mean, there's certainly a lot of opportunities in terms of digitising historical archives mm. that you were mm. um, talking about before. You know, I, I'm very interested in looking at historical press coverage. Um, there have been digitisations. I mean, there are archives in the National Library and the British Library, mm. but I'm not able to access those on mm. a particularly mm. easy basis. So mm -hmm. to have all of those uh, digitised, going back hundreds of years, local national newspapers, mm. is an absolutely amazing sort of treasure trove mm. um, through which to explore our world and the way that media has represented us um, through the ages. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And for our students, it offers that bridge, uh, from the archive to the classroom as well. Um, you know, so I think people like Zoe Alka from the sociology department at Liverpool and mm -hmm. um, Andrew Davis, who works in history as well, have been working you know, for quite, quite a number of years on this as well. And um, yeah, it's very much that bridge. And again, it's the sort of, it's the opportunities, but also the kind of excitement that brings to, to students. Um, yeah, and, and you know, the, these digital archives, they open up so many possibilities, not in, not in terms of just sort of quantitative analysis and so on, but yeah, thinking through what we can do if we understand more about discourse from a particular area and you know what what new research questions does that allow us uh, to to explore mm -hmm. um, i mean just recently we had alex buchanan on on our um, event mm -hmm. when and then then you know we just um, had the notre dame news of the fire mm -hmm. and then her research area in archival studies is digitizing um, churches and buildings so they worked with someone in the was it in the US who has actually digitized wow, Notre okay. Dame yes. so had it you know burned down yeah. he would have been able to or they would have been able to provide that mm -hmm. amazing uh, resource so I just think that that's again almost like you can build a new world yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is so sorry go on yeah I think Okay, so to carry on from that, it, so I think that's brilliant, but I always worry that, you know, that using it that way <clears throat> can also be sometimes to a detriment as well. I mean, if you, mm -hmm. if, 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 if that would, having that might, for some reason, you know, someone might forget to ensure not to down the next time thinking, oh, it'll be okay because if it burns down, mm -hmm. you know, we've got all this on record. I mean, you can't. You still can't go to the place you can't smell what it's like or touch the stone and, and you know get the, you know you can't listen to what it's like inside um i think that so that's sort of my that you know coming back mm -hmm. to my sort of uneasy mm -hmm. relationship with technology is um mm -hmm. it's never a complete substitute for for the real thing um yeah so so let's talk about what that relationship and when it's important so in your so let in in terms of in whatever you're teaching or whatever you're trying 
to develop your graduates, because uh, we did talk a little bit about what's important in history, communication and media. So if you think about, perhaps if you just, Alicia, a little bit about your field, you know, what, if you were describing history or, or life sciences mm -hmm. or whatever you, you want the students to, to become, what would that thing, but forget the digital for, for a moment, mm -hmm. and just think what's important. And perhaps the way to do it is to think to, to do it um we did display in one of the workshops is that as you're describing let's say a historian and what's important to develop think of as if we didn't know what that was and whether we could guess it from the the way you were describing it okay. so whether i could i distinguish it from other people on campus so okay. try and characterize your discipline or the kind of characteristics you develop in students and so forgetting the digital now. So the, the reason why I thought of doing this is just to really get at the what is it that you're trying to develop in students from your disciplinary perspective. So I'm a bit of an odd fish in that respect. In that mm -hmm. I, I mean, I work in life sciences, but I am a physicist. I'm actually, you know, I, I couldn't go and teach genetics or evolution. Mm -hmm. or like I just don't know. So I'm only good for one thing, really, and that's teaching maths and statistics to students. So the thing that I am really trying to get students to understand, and particularly life science students, is that this strand of um, mathematics and statistics is gonna sort of pervade everything they do um, during their studies. They're gonna become scientists at the end of it, and they're gonna need those mathematical uh, tools and knowledge to do research in that field, whether it be zoology or genetics or microbiology, they are going to need maths. Um, mm -hmm. So that's my job. And mm -hmm. um, that's uh, that makes life a bit more easier uh, in terms of technology because, you know, the tools that, that are available to them and that we're trying to get them to use are, you know, they're, they're digital tools. So spreadsheets, mm -hmm. calculators, um, you know, even now we're, we're developing uh, coding courses for first year students in R and Python. Uh, so, you know, that, that's sort of my, that is where my background comes in. Um, I, you know, I'm a firm, a firm believer that, you know, everyone should learn how to code. Uh, and that's, some, that's a real sort of digital capability that I believe every graduate should leave with from a university. Mm -hmm. Why? Why would you? So, in, just in terms of preparedness for the future. Um, I mean, if you look at technology and how it's been used, not just at university but more broadly in society and work and life, you know, it's you know the idea that you come to university in your first year and you know what you what sort of jobs are going to be out there in three or four years. Um, it's complete nonsense because we don't know what jobs they. I mean, they, 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 the whole job market's changing so quickly. You've got data science, which is a huge sort of um, employer now and will be sort of exponentially so in the next five years. So, you know, if we're preparing students sort of in the classical sense now to go and do something which might not even exist in five years' time, that's a concern. Where so I believe that something like coding in five years, there's only going to be a bigger dependence on that skill um, from an employability sort of point of view. Um, so that's sort of my, mm -hmm. my remit really is to sort of, sort of make sure students are able to know how to, to code. Mm -hmm. I believe that's important. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, we can come back to some okay. of that. But <laughs> well, let's hear from either of you, Kerry or John, on 
Yeah, um, <laughs> I absolutely agree. I think coding is clearly going to be huge um, and a really uh, useful skill for graduates of all disciplines mm -hmm. who go into all industries pretty much. Um, similarly, I think in communication and media, uh, you know, we're not about training students for a specific career in a specific communication or media industry or uh, role, but it's about developing a critical awareness and a critical engagement and thinking about communication and media, you know, texts and practices and industries and thinking about, um, you know, what does this communicative or media, communicative act or media texts say about the world? You know, how has it been constructed? Why has it been constructed? What did the producers kind of intend for that um, text to say? Um, who has made decisions in whether that has been produced or not? How has it been funded? How has it been organised? You know, how has it been distributed? How does it represent different groups within society? Are there certain perspectives that are privileged? Uh, are there others that are sort of excluded or undermined within that text? You know, how do different groups within society use um, media to advance their own interests? Um, and who gets to, to sort of play a part in that? So all the time, you know, this is not about employability necessarily. Lots of employers will be looking for these kinds of um, critical thinking skills, but this is not about employability. It's about preparing you for life, really, and being able to think about fake news yeah. or data privacy and these mm. kinds of issues. Um, you know, these are bubbling up in the public sphere at the moment, but these are things that media and communication scholars have been you know, talking about for, for decades. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really helpful that these things are in the public sphere and getting more visibility. Um, and it's really important to think about um, who creates media and for what purpose. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to go, if you're interested in that and you want to play a part in it, you need to think carefully about the, the whole context um, before you take those steps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess from the history perspective a fairly narrow field of uh, history um, we're increasingly thinking about this as a sort of interdisciplinary um, oh, sphere mm -hmm. if you like and I think it kind of echoes many things uh, everyone's just been saying really so you know uh, clearly our very best graduates excellent communicators excellent writers very capable of um, condensing a large amount of information to a single paragraph or a 10,000 word dissertation mm -hmm. So I always think of that as you know as a sort of key indicator of a, you know an excellent graduate that they understand that we can use knowledge and um, mm -hmm. information in different ways and shape it in different ways and balance our judgment on on what that information means. So in, in that way, I suppose digital comes in and it's it's there as a, a sort of challenge to to fit in and to talk about in in that kind of context. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. and, and and I suppose it just how. Digital is shaping our present as well. So in terms of fake news and, and knowledge all around us, um, I was having a discussion earlier with a colleague who, who sort of said, well, what do we do? how do we talk about newspapers now, historic newspapers? Because I've never seen a student read a newspaper. Mm. Like everyone just looks at things on the mm. phone. How, how are students accessing mm. news and so on? So we almost have to go back to fundamentals and, you know, what's a newspaper? And, and sort of talk about it in this way. So it's always thinking through our sources and thinking, being critically aware of, um, all the information we're looking at, I suppose. Um, and I, what, I, what I thought was interesting is you, you mentioned, you know, that the way that you write for these different, you know, compared to a newspaper for these platforms, is very, very different um, because 
you are writing with the specific purpose of ensuring someone reads your content. You know, you're not writing for the Guardian or the Times where you know people's going to buy the paper and sit down on a train or whatever and read it. You're you're writing for an audience that is constantly flitting between websites and platforms. So you know that's you know, if if you're really going to have your words read you need to sort of tune yourself into that behavior through your writing. And I think that's, that's a skill which we don't, I mean, maybe you, do, is that the sort of thing you, that you teach uh, within? Yeah, we, um, we have a, a module which is uh, around writing practices and yeah. um, connected with the kind of public relations industry mm-hmm. as well and how um, organizations, you know, from across public, private, mm-hmm. voluntary sectors, will use uh, the written word to engage mm-hmm. um, audiences and how you really have to compete so much more. You know, it's not a case that, as you just said, where people will buy a newspaper and, and sit and read it because they're a faithful customer. We've got hundreds and thousands of um, competing mm. websites all wanting our attention. Um, so there are clearly particular formulas that we would use and particular types of language, but, you know, Although it's, we're talking now about digital fluency, like it's a new thing, you know, there are actually, uh, you know, these are classic theories like Aristotle's theory of persuasion, mm. where he talks about pathos and logos and ethos, you know, the credibility of the author, hugely important, the logic of your argument, central to, you know, what we teach students throughout their studies at university, um, and pathos, you know, this is perhaps the, the part that, the mainstream media might inject a little bit more into but mm-hmm. you know we will all use stories and anecdotes mm-hmm. as well to kind of engage and reach audiences whether they're students in our lecture theatres or you know readers of academic journal articles so mm-hmm. although it's digital fluency that we're talking about today it's really just another layer like you said at the beginning I think that's over our existing world and you know all of these everything that's gone before is still just as applicable now mm-hmm. as, it, as it ever has been. Mm-hmm. Do you and think it is yeah. more fundamental, though, if you think about mobile phone use, you know, use and how, how ubiquitous, I mean, back to where we started in a sense, do you think there is something more fundamental now that is shaping how people are thinking and acting in the world because of mobile technology? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of evidence to say that um, echo chambers, <laughs> you know, are being created that of personalization of news that we uh, thought would be such a great thing hey I can tailor my news feed I can get mm-hmm. the news that I'm really interested in but actually that means that we're all just listening to and reading and watching the kind of perspectives that we already agree with and this has undoubtedly you know been a factor in the rise of Trump and populism mm-hmm. and everything else that's going on in the political world at the moment um, so we do need to try to find ways to, to break through that. And there are always kind of new mm. new apps, new systems that are trying to break down those barriers. But yeah, I, it causes problems. I'm quite optimistic about, about this. Um, I mean, I think you mentioned it earlier. This is, it's like, uh, well, we're all like kids in a sweet shop, right? And actually, that's the last, that's the last 20 years of humanity, right? Since <laughs> the internet turned up and we can have anything whenever we want it and read anything and access anything, you know, we've just got absolutely doolally um, to the point where, you know, you, you can't distinguish um, a credible author from an incredible one. Mm. Um, or, you know, you can't stop 
reading something and, and sort of judge whether it's been manipulated somehow. Um, I think, you know, we, we will eventually learn to do that. And then we'll, you know, we'll be the kids in the sweet shop still, but we'll be, you know, we'll, we'll grow up eventually and we'll still eat lots of sweets, but we'll know which ones are good for us and which ones are bad for us. Um, yeah. yeah, that's sort of what I hope really. I mean, I think... I mean, don't, I mean in, in terms of our role then in the university, do you think we have a role in that sweet so shop? I, so what, 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 I would think you, so, what would you see? I mean, in, in a way you've said, said those things before. So there's a bit, of, a bit of both. And of course, our, you know, we're, we're developing this, this digital fluency attribute as part of our own curriculum now, which I think is great. Actually, I think it's really great we've used the words digital fluency, not digital literacy. You know, we've used mm-hmm. that for a long time. And, and I, I really like that because the word fluency sort of acknowledges this idea that technology does change. You know, so mm-hmm. my, my father considers himself digitally literate because he can use a typewriter right um <laughs> but he's certainly not literate literate in the sense of technology now you know he wouldn't mm-hmm. use a word processor um whereas fluency sort of acknowledges that if you're a fluent person you you are a, a constantly adapting to these new changes in technology which, which are rapid and increasingly rapid actually mm-hmm. um and i think sort of our role here and it's difficult because the the instinct is to jump in and try and control people's behaviour, you know, especially students when, when they're using student, technology. You mean, yeah. And, you know, we you know, we have our own virtual learning environment that we want to use. And, you know, that, that can, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. It's important we have that. But, um, you know, if you start in, enforcing technologies on, on our own students, um, you know, you might not be allowing them to be as fluent as you want them to be, um, especially mm-hmm. as there are technologies now that, you know, students use that I don't know about, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, you know, I don't use Snapchat or, you know, uh, Instagram (laughs) and I'm not that old, right? Um, But Mm -hmm. I know that students are actively using these platforms for study, you know, beyond, on on top of our Mm -hmm. own sort of repositories and and vital. Um, So we really are going to ignore that at our our detriment. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so in that, can I just check with fluency? Yes. What, 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 I mean, have you got um, any strong, well, not, not necessarily strong, but feelings in terms of about what we call it, or how do you see the fluency in terms of the terminology? I, I think there's something here about how, how, we, how we read. So mm-hmm. how are students reading now? I mean, when I went to university, you know, <laughs> 1998, I, I was actually at the University of Liverpool, so I arrived, and I just remember sort of spending time in the library and thinking, I really need to sit down with a book and just read, because hmm. that's what you do at university, right? I mean, <laughs> so I just remember, it. I remember very vividly, four hours, and I sat there and read, <clears throat> and I sort of wonder now, is that is that still necessary? Is this kind of engagement, deep reading still necessary? I'd, I'd argue it is, and, and I'm sort of wondering how, when we talk about fluency, uh, we're talking about a set of skills, we're talking about... Um, how how individuals are engaging with information is it about sort of deep learning um, or again is this about what's skirting around everything now that we just have to say well this is part of of life now mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's I, I guess sort of question, taking yeah. it back to that you know how how do we read now how do students read um, <laughs> again are we are we sliding away from something that's that was quite good into some something we need to be you know mention moral panic earlier is, is there a sense that we're worrying too much about this um because i, I think as well uh, just two things uh, it, 
is there a correlation in the, the quality of writing, for example, that we're seeing students creating now? And, you know, I think there are studies, you, you may correct me or, or add a bit more detail if you know, but about how people are using online platforms, for instance, flicking from one thing to another mm -hmm. and this kind of thing. So, that, again, that idea of distraction, how long are people actually spending reading? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there is there is evidence to show that uh, young people um, have increasingly shorter attention spans, that they become impatient um, more easily, so they're, they're more enthusiastic to find information mm -hmm. very quickly, and that doesn't prompt the kind of engagement, the kind of deep level, sitting down, reading patiently for hours when that might not give you the immediate quotes that you want for that particular essay mm -hmm. at that particular time. So I think there are real concerns, but I think that's for, you know, for all of us, like you said mm -hmm. at the beginning, you need to put your phone in an envelope mm -hmm. to be able to sit down yeah. and write for a couple of hours. Um, but that's also part of the way that we're I think learning as a whole is accelerating when we think about perhaps when we went to university mm -hmm. and the time that it took to find different resources and to, mm -hmm. um, you know, to hunt down. I mean, I think about people doing a PhD in the 70s, yeah. I think. Yeah. How did yeah. they do <laughs> yeah. that, you know, without yeah. oh all gosh. of these resources at hand, at the, you know, at their fingertips? Yeah. So I still remember scanning, you know, journal articles I'd found in the stacks <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. microfiche yeah. I think the yeah. the acceleration of knowledge yeah. you know that we're all benefiting from has got a kind of payoff as well so like we said at the beginning there's downs there's upsides and downsides to it all I mean there's definitely a move um towards more visual social media you just mm -hmm. mentioned Instagram and Snapchat um, yeah. and there's studies to show from the Pew Centre for example that um, young people are turning in droves to, to the more visual and away from the more sort of textual platforms like Twitter and Facebook and so obviously other yeah. wider concerns around Facebook. Um, so I think we do need to think about how we engage with those mm. technologies through teaching mm. um, and how uh, students are you know drawn to the visual um, and how that's going to impact mm -hmm. on their kind of future learning mm -hmm. and maybe how we deliver uh, how we deliver our content mm -hmm. I think if I was a student now I'd be completely I'd be so confused right um, because I you know from experience I know students turn up at university and they, they're still expecting that um, well they're still expecting that that sort of didactic lecture approach they're expecting someone to stand in front of them and talk and I think I think that feeling you described um, about you know you feeling that need to go and read you know go deep and go read. I think they still have that and I still expect that um, so that's very much there um, but at the same time there is now the expectation that they are going to use technology and and you know without an explicit um, sort of set of rules as to what that constitutes okay so we you know we might be t talking about technology in terms of you know well, to crystallise what we're talking about in terms of information retrieval would be control and F, right? Is you know looking looking for resources in a different way to how we would have done, you know, by reading a book. Um, but they might be thinking, oh well, I've got to use, I've got to be using all these platforms, LinkedIn, social media. Um, there's no real distinction sometimes, I don't think. So I think if I was a student now, I'd be really 
confused as to what is expected of me. Mm. Um, I mean, that we can bring that, yeah, so that would be interesting to then discuss yeah, yeah. of... Um, because in a way, I mean, some, what, what the literature shows as well, we can move move on to talking about, um, I mean, we have been talking about that anyway, the students' digital capabilities, but the literature shows, you know, they can be adapted, mm-hmm. they are adapted on social media, but when it comes to, let's say, history or mathematics mm-hmm. or statistics, they wouldn't necessarily know which, um, you know, which statistical, uh, what is it? algorithm to use mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. or what what is it that you're looking for or you know you were talking about the critical awareness so it, it's it's I think that's our role isn't it to to develop that bit and whether they can bring in any digital know-how mm-hmm. that they have uh, in that that's an interesting dynamic mm-hmm. of whether we we then sort of change our teaching to, to match that yeah, but yeah. at the end of the day mm-hmm. we I mean yeah, that that's. I just wonder what how how you see that bit, and we can maybe talk about. Sorry, John. Oh no, it just it, it seemed like almost the the sort of old problem of how much content and how much skills based um, mm. teaching, learning and teaching could you know it should be in every module, and maybe I think more of us are now at the moment when we realise well we need to spend a good session here on on the re, you know electronic resources. You know there needs to be that in depth work we're doing at the start mm-hmm. of, a, of a module or, or midway or, or whatever so I think that conversation is going on in history as a discipline you know, how, how far is the content going to be there and, mm-hmm. but, but I think it's about you know more and more it's about creating students creating knowledge isn't it so we have to give them those tools and I think that's a, mm-hmm. a really positive thing about digital is it offers all these tools but it's, it's then how we combine that with with delivering the content and you know building their awareness of historiography, historical knowledge, mm-hmm. um, and, and so on. So it's that, that kind of tension that, that, that maybe is there. Again, in communication and media, the students come with a huge range of skills. You know, sometimes we assume that young people um, are net natives, or whatever the phrase is, post-millennials, yeah. and that they've grown up with these technologies and they automatically know how to use everything. And, you know, that's often not the case yeah. um mm-hmm. some come with editing experience you know writing and publishing blogging or making videos or being a radio presenter uh, producer but often they don't you know and mm-hmm. that's fine too and we're not a kind of production focused course and there's no compulsion on students to develop those skills but but for for some of the students who do you know there are a lot of opportunities um to develop, you know, to experiment um, with different technologies. Mm. Um, we're experimenting as well. You know, we've got this mm-hmm. YouTube channel, but YouTube changes frequently mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> changes the way they operate the platform, which is hugely challenging mm-hmm. to teach with. Um, so, you know, we're always trying to find sort of new, look at new technologies and see what's going to work. And, um, you know, I'm certainly very open for students to try new things if they want to try different animation mm-hmm. packages or there's just so much out there that's available, often mm-hmm. free or very low cost these days. It's not all about, you know, teaching the latest industry standard package um, that will probably change a mm-hmm. huge amount by the time the students were in a position to be able to mm-hmm. deploy those skills in a professional life anyway. So, um, I mean, that might be different for uh, research which is using like SPSS or in vivo or mm-hmm. something like that where they maybe um, 
you know, those skills will be useful sort of immediately beyond graduation. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, mm -hmm. this is a huge learning so what's curve for your, all of us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're, you, you have got, I mean, have, have you got this uh, experience of students having dif different capabilities? Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that and then um, see what your strategies are? So we, we've recently updated our, so I've just redesigned um, the, the module to teach their quantitative skills in the first year. And we've been laboring under an assumption for a while, I think, that, you know, basic Excel skills, the students will come to us with those. And that's that's not true. You know, students don't know that if you, you know, if you press equal sum and then highlight the cells and copy them all down, it'll do that. Um, so that was actually that was a bit of a shock to us. Um, mm. So we are now going back and we're ensuring that you know all students have that. And of course, it's really difficult because half of the students do know how to do that already. So tailoring our resources and content to satisfy a lot. And you talk about four hundred students here, right? Mm. Uh, a very very large group to make sure that the ones who know it are satisfied and the ones that don't know it are satisfied is very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, um, you know, we have to err on the side of not knowing it. You know, it, it wouldn't, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. people people who already know something, particularly students, are, are more happy to be told it if they already know it. Whereas a student who doesn't know it that isn't told right. uh, is distinctly more unhappy, right? So it's better to repeat it in mm -hmm. that situation um, when it comes to sort of digital skills. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, yeah, so you mentioned SPSS as well. That's another. So we've just abandoned SPSS actually for mm -hmm. for R. So we're replacing all of our statistics um, with with R, um, and again that's from an employability perspective. Um, you know, using an open an open source platform. Which is probably going to be more, you know, likely to use that once you graduate. Then, um, yeah, it makes you more amenable for other jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, and what about history? What's your, John, in terms of students' mm. capabilities when you get them in year one? What's yeah, really mixed. I mean, this year um, we have a we have a group project in year one, and one of the students knew how to create websites, mm. so that person created the website for the group and it's really professional and great and yeah I think we could probably do more to capture those different mm -hmm. skills and then and then develop them because obviously throughout our curriculum we're developing particular history centered skills but um, yeah we could certainly do more to capture those different skill sets as, as students arrive here. Is, is this something people do or you kind of come across how students are or does anyone ask students what their digital skills are when they join or you have a rough understanding no, from I don't where think we do actually yeah uh, <laughs> we just uh, um i mean we would always say that especially for sort of entry requirements for, for math anyway you know we say well you don't need mm -hmm. a level maths and we sort of acknowledge that half the students are going to have it and half of them aren't but we certainly mm -hmm. don't ask beyond that we don't say you know can you use a database can you use this package mm -hmm. um i think we we assume we think we assume very little uh, and, and you know we say oh well we're gonna we're gonna assume that they know nothing mm -hmm. but actually there is sometimes an expectation there even even if it comes down to you know how to use a certain function on a word processor or how to use some referencing software there's, there's a slight mm -hmm. assumption there that they know how to do it and that's not always true mm -hmm. um, which causes a lot of a lot of heartache especially if there's no resources in place for that mm -hmm. um, so I think um, in communication and media also, we have this huge range of students 
a huge range of skills that they come to us with, um, some very much more advanced in some ways than others and others vice versa. Um, and that it, yeah, it's our job as they sort of join the university to help them understand the arena of sort of digital tools available to them, whether that is looking for academic literature, looking for credible sources, learning how to tell which are the more mm -hmm. credible sources than others, um, and, and how to sort of get those resources to work together, um, as well as how to produce their own kind of media texts and critically engage with what is out there in terms of media and digital text. So thinking about um, digital text, social media, you know, fake news, websites, um, games, how are these texts constructed and what was their purpose and, you know, how should I treat them, how should I engage with them, as well as the more kind of traditional media like film and TV and journalism. Mm -hmm. Great, okay. Yeah, I think digital awareness in relation to history, uh, if we think about what we want a third year graduate to, what kind of attributes you want a third year graduate to have. I mean, I suppose there's kind of three things when I'm thinking about this. It's the, the initial starting point now with, with, with the advent of digital is, is amazingly, you know, so much more rich and um, the possibilities are, are much, much wider. There are a great deal of benefits in terms of starting a research project, framing research questions. Um, and then the second thing is, I suppose, when the research is conducted, it's helping students think about how they, how they might store information, create their own data sets, what sort of tools they might use there. Um, also, are there ways to link that digital awareness, that awareness of what now is online, um, to analogue forms of research? So that blending, I think, is actually really interesting. And I think, you know, takes research into really interesting new directions. And I suppose, thirdly, it's thinking about what, you know, are there ways through assessment we can encourage different forms of expression? So podcasts, videos, um, uh, posters, websites. So I suppose it's, you know, so students learn to communicate in different ways because of all these new possibilities that are out there. So, yeah, I guess we are pushing students in, in different directions or encouraging students to think in different directions and work in different directions uh, because of you know what's been going on for the last decade and, and more I suppose. And I think that is a really important um, part of our work through assessment is what we encourage students to do um, and how they communicate their work um, so whatever the subject of the, the topic of discussion or debate or the piece of analysis that they need to do or the literature review, how they communicate their ideas, I think is all part of, well, is very much part of digital fluency mm. and learning to communicate, you know, through a blog, through written word, um, but a, perhaps a different style or an interactive kind of website or a video or a game even. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are different Great. ways to communicate particular messages. Um, so I think when we're talking you know, communication skills has been a, you know, a part mm. of uh, those transferable skills that we want to teach students for a long, long time. And I think digital skills is just another layer to that, um, which is probably needed for a finite period of time, you know, as we all go through this kind of transition. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And mm -hmm. then it becomes much more part, a kind of natural part of um, the work yeah. that we do yeah. and the way that we all communicate. 
I mean, now, now that thanks for bringing up assessment because that was one of be my question in terms of how how do we know or how does the student know that they have acquired digital skills or digital capabilities and it's it's, it's perhaps talking about your examples in in your because you're here because you've all done something around this in terms of you can relate it to your examples or your your practice of how that might happen in in whatever that activity or assessment task is with them yeah so how 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 does it work for you what what sort of things might you be assessing i suppose that's that's okay, the question. So, um, I've taught a, a second year module around media writing and, and as part of that students were asked to produce a reflective video essay um, in which they reflect on the way that they applied the theory in their practice. They reflected on um, legislation and kind of regulatory mm -hmm. issues that they had to take into consideration when developing a portfolio. Um, and how they worked with sources, how they went out and found people to interview and how they, you know, approached that, how they structured it and um, how it went and kind of overall summing up what they've learned. So pretty much the content is like a normal reflective essay, mm -hmm. um, but they communicated this through the form of video. Um, this was something that um, I was very flexible in terms of how they were able to produce the video. Um, I didn't really put in any kind of requirements for technical excellence or, you know, using any kind of particular software. Uh, I had a resource available if they wanted it and we've got software in the university available if they wanted it. Um, and they were able to borrow cameras if they wanted them, but many of them just used mobile phones or other cameras that they had available, webcams on their laptops. Um, many, many students have iMovie and things like that, which you can produce a really great video with, you know, really um, well cut, uh, engaging, mm -hmm. nice graphics. Mm -hmm. um, it was a relatively small um, part of the overall module mark, so it wasn't a huge pressure for them. Um, some of them found the video production parts more challenging than others. Um, and I did provide extra support to some of those. So, you know, that does raise issues when you've got huge modules with hundreds of students on them. Um, but for manageable numbers, you know, that was something mm -hmm. that worked pretty well. Um, and I think it's a really good way of getting to know your students as well. You know, for us, when we can see them <laughs> visually, um, it helps sometimes when you've got large student numbers, and large numbers of uh, essays. Mm -hmm. So there's your added benefit of multimodal yeah. assessment. <laughs> How do you think this might work? Or what would we say to academics X who just says, oh, I can't do editing. What? You know, I can't possibly ask students to edit because I can't do it. Have, what's your so is, thoughts on this? This is, a this is a big, big problem for us. Um, is that technology changes faster than we can teach it, right? So, you know, you... If you're going to teach something like you know, make a podcast or you want to make a website, mm. there are very, very few members of staff who actually have those skills themselves. Uh, those themselves. So, um, sort of, you know, to find staff to, to teach that and support that is very, very difficult. And I, I worry that in the future we'll end up in this in the situation where, you know, that demand to teach a particular digital skill or capability will be com 
completely sort of overwhelming our ability to to deliver on that. Um, so that's that's a really big worry, and, and you know it's 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 far more difficult for for us as staff to you know to to retrain to do that um, than the, for the students to learn it themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's a much much big, bigger job actually is to. And is that a barrier, do you think? Because in, in some ways I'm thinking in that case, for instance, I'm sure Kerry, I mean, it would be interesting to see what exactly, and it might be different for media students because that's their specialism, but let's say if you gave, if they weren't communication and media students, let's say if they were history students, mm-hmm. the main main thing you're trying to get is that the students are able to communicate their mm-hmm. findings about history, not necessarily that they did a... Adobe Premiere, mm. perfectly fine cut, BBC um, level broadcast, but it's how they use some of the media. So in that sense, would would you say that it would be necessary for the staff member to have all the multimedia editing skills so in that case? N- so no, I think the only thing it really requires is a bit more flexibility, actually. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you go and look at um, a traditional life science program and you look at the assessments that the students submit. I mean... Conventionally, you've got there are three things they're going to submit. They're going to submit an essay, or a report written in words, or some other you know some other word processor. They're going to submit um, a poster, um, probably done in PowerPoint or um, some other graphics editing software, or they're going to do a presentation using PowerPoints, most likely. Mm-hmm. And really, those though they they do those three assessments. Um, or three kinds of assessments, and they do it over and over again, because you know not because we're afraid to push them to do other things, but that's all we can do. Very often, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a group of, of staff or academics, that that very often is sort of the the limiting factor, I think. And you know, I'm I know I'm doing a huge number of colleagues a huge a disservice by saying that, um, but I think it would be better sometimes to say, look. Here's the content. Here's here's the content I want you to generate. I want you to really go away and think hard about this. I don't care how you deliver it to me. Um, you can you can use your own skills and and, and mm-hmm. use and be creative. Allow them to be creative mm-hmm. to do that, so that when you when you you know assess that, you assess it primarily on the content, mm-hmm. uh, and you you're a lot more flexible with the design. I mean, I, I've used mm-hmm. rubrics, you know, where you've got. And, you know, an assessment where they have to design something as well and they have very, very strict criteria for design. And the students get very upset, like, oh, well, I didn't come here to learn how to design something. I came here for the content. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's that's the communication part, which, yes, I agree, we should really be assessing them on. But mm-hmm. I would love them to, to be creating videos and, and So blogs. what would tip people on that thing? Because let's say... I'm a member of staff and I get a research grant that I really want to apply for mm-hmm. that only accepts video proposals. Right. Yeah. You would probably go out and... The, the reason I'm asking is because when we talk to students, one of the things they have, oh, well, staff needs more training. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm guessing that training people, you know, to come to a workshop mm-hmm. is, is, you know, you come and do it, it's not. But there is other issues where people are very busy yeah. and it's not. So, um, so... In, in that case, they, they would probably do it because they have to, to, to succeed in that grant application. Um, but I, I think, sorry, that's probably a different point from the fact, from the question that's, do we always need to be the experts in everything in order to... 
No, is, I don't, is the I don't subject expertise not? But I think yeah. I think very often the expectation is that yes, we do. Mm-hmm. But um, I think if we were all to to acknowledge that that's not necessary, um, then I think it, we would really see a much mm. greater diversity in the kinds of tools that students are using to submit their assessments. Uh, I don't believe mm. personally it would detract from the content. Your know, students still got to submit a project report, which is you know, going to be. A significant fraction of their their degree, mm-hmm. um, but it wouldn't it be lovely if they could augment it with um, a podcast, which you know they could actually publish. You know, to, you know, people could go and listen to their research or a blog article, or they could you know they could have a, a profile for their thesis or their their project online. They could build a website for it and say, here you go, I've, I've written this. You can go and download mm-hmm. and read it. Um, I think uh, I think those skills. Are going to be more and more useful to them than actually mm-hmm. having written the project themselves. You know, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's it's important they learn how to mm-hmm. to write, write and do research. Um, but in terms of employability, that's assumed, right? Employers assume that if you've done a degree, you can do that. They're after the added value stuff. So if you're going mm-hmm. into an interview situation, they assume you've written a project and you, you can go and retrieve information and understand it and curate it. But if you say, oh, yeah, and I built a website to, to tell people about it, or I, I delivered a podcast to do it, you know, for an employer, you, you, that would be lighting up bulbs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I think I as mean, well it's... Yeah. Imp- sorry. No, I, no. I think it's important to, um, to look at these things at a programme level, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what we don't want is every module leader suddenly hmm. redesigning <laughs> their module <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, to include a blog mm-hmm. or a portfolio or, you know, whatever it is. Because um, we still need essays and we need mm. exams mm-hmm. and we need presentations and we need these kind mm-hmm. of core skills. Um, but also we would like students to have the opportunity to develop other kinds of digital or creative skills as well. I mean, I think our university you know, strategy talks about culturally rich graduates mm-hmm. and we want students to be able to express themselves in different ways and be creative at times through their degree. Um and so the, the 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 task really for you know developing these assignments does not always need to fall at the feet of the module leader, you know, and developing um, the confidence to be able to mm-hmm. say, okay, you're going to do a video essay, or you're going to go off and do a bring this back in any kind of format you like, as long as it fulfills the learning outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great example from English, actually. Um, Matthew Bradley has developed this really interesting um, module assessment where they uh, the students um, critique, the, you know, literary do a literary critique of um, a particular novel, uh, but they can present it in any form they like. It doesn't have to be digital. So they've had people mm-hmm. with sculptures. They've had a student design a board game <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and kind of big pieces of mm-hmm. art through mm-hmm. which they will come in and, and present the way that this um, object that they've created represents their critique. Um, so there are you know, all sorts of creative things that can be done in all kinds of subjects. Um, but as I said, it's not always the module convener's mm-hmm. responsibility to do that. And we have um, specialists in the university, uh, you know, within the sort of centre of the university and the academy and CIE. And then we have other people based out in faculties 
you know, if they uh, are equipped and kind of given the times and mm. the, the resources to be able to contribute and work together with academics, I think that can be a much more fruitful way of, of embedding these kinds of tasks and, and skills across mm. the curriculum. Mm. Because it is time consuming going out, even thinking, right, I'm going to do a blog assignment mm. here. So mm. I've got to go out and look at different kinds of blog tools. I've got to explore the blog tool or the journal tool in vital you know that's a challenge in itself um, I've got to decide which is the best one I need to know how to use it myself because I'm going to tell students mm. to use it and that's not fair is it mm. I can't tell them to use something I don't know how to use so everyone reinventing the wheel all the time is not you know a good mm -hmm. use probably of our time so perhaps there is you know a role in the future for, for more collaboration between different parts of the university mm -hmm. in designing these kinds of assessments. And I'm glad, Kerry, you said about the programme level design because I think it is very important to think about it holistically mm -hmm. and what the, what the students' progression as well as they come in year one and how they progress in terms of, in any of the skills, mm -hmm. as you said, in whatever it's the subject knowledge or any additional skills that... And I think creativity, it's nice that you mentioned because, again, that's one of the... Uh, usually in the top ten lists of employers that they're currently looking, I mean, in the tw in terms of 21st century. And I think that's a lovely example. It kind of mm. comes back to your envelope example, mm. how we started that, what you said about, um, you know, it's, it's students deciding whether the digital will be right in that moment to use for that task or not, and having that, that play and understanding and critique, whether it's, it's the right tool or not in that situation for them. Yeah, and that is what yeah. they're going to have to do in the real world. They're going to go out yeah. and get jobs and have employers that give them things to do, and they're going to have to make decisions about what is the best way to communicate that that you know the mm -hmm. results of my work. So yeah. Mm -hmm. John, is there anything you want? Actually, anything I was going to say. I Kelly's, know it's Kelly's kind of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no, no, that was about it. To be honest. Yeah, I suppose just just generally, you know. The, big complex institution like ours it's a sense that like you said there, there is a lot going on there's a lot of expertise everywhere and it, sometimes mm -hmm. there's a sense to you know move towards integrating and, and sharing I suppose all of that expertise and, and maybe it's about encouraging students to do some extracurricular mm -hmm. more extracurricular activities such as the know-how workshops mm -hmm. in, the, in the library for example mm -hmm. so maybe it's about that side of things as the support structures for both students and academics and just sort of building building that mm -hmm. And I think just as a final thought, I know, I know you, uh, we have to um, wrap up, but the, I mean, innovation happens usually at the intersection of disciplines. Mm -hmm. I'm quite interested in that interdisciplinary angle of how that might happen and in the digital area as well, that, that is the case, that sometimes those connections can spring up mm -hmm. ideas. But um, yeah, Any, if, if someone was starting to think about, um, you know, doing something around this area so digital embedding basically embedding digital fluency what what would be your top tip to them do it don't be afraid to fail because um, i think that's you know there's a very good chance if you try something new and you know there is that fear that you are only one step ahead of students when you if, if you're creating an assessment or assignment mm -hmm. um try it um you know find that something that's going to you know, a nice little case study or example. Don't do it with 400 students, perhaps. <laughs> um, but but try it. It might be an abject failure, but at least you'll know how to do it right the next time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I think it's it's researching, you know, aspects of good practice and, and doing that extra bit of bit of work. And I, I think you know, from an academic's point of view, it's 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 creating that space. And sometimes it means universities giving us an extra bit of space to be able to do that that kind of kind of work as well. So part of this discussion, I think, is about resource and it's about the realities of our mm-hmm. working lives and, and like you mentioned earlier if we're having all these new things coming our way it can seem a bit overwhelming mm-hmm. at times so mm-hmm. I think there is a question there about expectations mm-hmm. and resource as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah I would absolutely echo that I think doing these kinds of things takes time um, and a lot of headspace and you know when people are under pressure for various yeah. reasons then that's not easy to create those spaces, yeah. Um, In terms of top tips, (laughs) I would say speak to other people who've done it. Go and speak to yourselves in CIE, you know, come and speak to other members of staff who have done it. I'd be more than happy to talk to anyone uh, who Mm -hmm. wanted to do that kind of thing about my experiences. Um, And that's how I learned to do Mm -hmm. things like this by working with other people with better skills than me in some areas. Um, And yeah. And check out media pool. <laughs> yeah. On, on YouTube, you can also plug your your areas. You want? Oh, be, I, I, I could I could do about you, ten you different plugs, yeah. and it would be shameful. <laughs> I could talk about high pie for an hour, but I won't. I won't do that today. <laughs> okay, we. I'm sure we. Well, well, we will see. But that that was great. Thank you so much okay. for Thank coming. You. It was Thank really you. good discussion. So Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I hope you join us in our future podcasts.